The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning. I am really grateful to be back. Um, I do not get sick very often. I really don't. But when I do, I get sick hard, really hard. And so I had a, a, a pretty, pretty terrible case of the man flu uh, last week, and I missed you guys dearly. Um, but I'm excited to be back. Um, a few weeks ago, we had our seminar uh, here at, at Stone Oak. And if you weren't a part of that, the idea was pretty simple. It was to give us the opportunity to ask questions and, and to wrestle through some things that came out of the text, and we as elders were going to wrestle together through them. And I want to thank you for your questions. Um, we're still getting some, and we're going to be answering all of them. Um, but here's one thing, the reason I bring this up is here's one thing I noticed. The first seminar dealt with the first four chapters, and yet the vast majority of all the questions that came in on these four chapters came directly from one text, directly from the text that we are actually looking at this morning. And I believe there's an excellent reason for this. What we're about to see in this scripture is difficult. It is heavy, and oh my, is it an unpopular topic. Um, this is one of those teachings that, of Scripture that would have been a lot easier just to move past, find some texts on love and marriage and life principles, and get out of here. Um, you name it, anything would have been easy in exchange for this, but here's the deal. I believe that moving past this text um, would be detrimental without us digging in. I believe this is of first importance. Not secondary, of first importance. This morning, we are going to be looking at what the Bible says about the wrath of God. Uh, the wrath of God. And you would, as I said, be hard-pressed to find a more unpopular um, thing to talk about in church, especially from a pastoral perspective. There are a couple things that any preacher could preach on that would guarantee to um, not earn them popularity points. This is one of those things. But, but um, my calling is to be as faithful as I can possibly be to teach the whole counsel of Scripture. And so because of that, we get the great privilege of looking at this text and, I, I, and looking at the biblical doctrine of God's wrath. And I use the word privilege not lightly. I use it intentionally. We get the privilege of seeing this because when we see this, when we're able to see this, we are able to better see and understand our gospel. And I'll say this even more directly because the opposite of that statement is true. To fail to see this, to fail to understand this, will have absolutely detrimental consequences to your ability to understand the gospel. There's a quote that I think sums this up well. It's uh, by Richard Nybar. Um, he's an American Christian theologian, Christian ethicist, who um, writes in a book called The Kingdom of God in America, he writes this quote, and he identifies the link, the undeniable link between the wrath of God and our understanding of the gospel. He says, I love this quote, he's warning the American church of what lies ahead. He says, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. 
We're going to look at this warning a little more, but there is this undeniable link. See, when we believe that we are good people, when we believe that at least we're pretty good people, or at least we're pretty good people trying to be pretty good people, when we believe that, the cross of Jesus is no longer needed. Sure, he's an excellent example. Excellent example. But the good news of a Savior is not that good when we don't need saving. We no longer understand our need and in when we no longer stand, understand the wrath of God toward evil and sin, then the cross of Christ is no longer needed. It, it, the good news becomes either just good advice, good life principles, good life hacks, or it's just okay news because without bad news, there is no good news. We say, we can say, Jesus is the answer, right? But if no one's asking a question, all of a sudden the good news of that answer is not all that good. We must reclaim the right understanding of the wrath of God as it is a central issue to understanding the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, would you, with me, turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to open up to 1 and 18. We're going to move slowly through this. I was supposed to get further. I don't think I am, um, but we're going to get through this, okay? So verse 18 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Stop here. Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. First observation that we need to make from this text is this. God has wrath. It's a simple statement. That's a heavy statement, and it could be a confusing statement. So when we think about this, it's like, how could God have wrath? Doesn't he love? I mean, how could God have wrath? Doesn't he command us to love our enemies, yet he rages out against them? How could God have wrath? Isn't the way of Christ the way of love? How could God have wrath? How could he be wrathful? Is not the point of the gospel that the wrathful God of that Old Testament is now gone, and isn't the wrath of God just some Old Testament thing? The answer is no. Um, We're looking at the book of Romans, the New Testament book of Romans, and we read about the wrath of God. See, Scripture teaches God has wrath, but the wrath of God is not like some human anger that somehow he just can't control himself. One of the most brilliant theologians, influential theologians, theologians of our day is J.I. Packer. And J.I. Packer um, says it like this, God's wrath in the Bible is never capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. God has wrath Because he is holy, because our God is holy, perfect, righteous, and just, God has wrath. Because our God has a right and necessary response to what is evil, God has wrath. It is not a loss of temper. It is not a momentary, whoops, I can't control myself. It is perfect wrath, just and righteous. God has wrath. And according to this text, he doesn't just have it. It's being revealed. 
Notice the language here. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Same language that we saw last week in verse 17 that says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So Paul says both the righteousness of God and the wrath of God are being revealed. God has wrath and it is being revealed, shown, and demonstrated. Let's look at this scripture here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I want us to notice the language here. Um, A language of totality. It's all. All. Um, Not just some. Not just a majority. All. God has wrath and his wrath is revealed against not some, but all unrighteousness. Not most of the ungodliness, but all ungodliness. All. All. I think sometimes we can think about the gospel a little bit like this. That heaven is for the good people or the people who are at least trying to be good. And hell is for those bad people. But Scripture doesn't talk about it like that. Scripture says, according to Scripture, heaven is for bad people. Who God, by the grace of of God through Jesus Christ, has saved. While hell is for bad people who have rejected Jesus Christ. That is the picture. It's not a good person versus a bad person thing. Because there is no one good. There's no one, not one, except for Christ who is good. We try to rationalize good and bad. We try to come to it with our own standards, but it's not about our standards. It's God's standards. And according to his standards, there's no one good, not one, except for Christ and Christ alone. According to his standard, we have all sinned. We have all missed the mark, every single one of us. So therefore, we come back to our scripture. The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness, all ungodliness. Again, God has wrath because he is holy, perfect, just, and righteous. God has wrath because he has a necessary and correct and good response to what is evil. And that is why it is not some. It is not most. It is all. He is perfect and holy, and therefore his wrath is revealed against not some evil, all evil. So let's make another observation here. I want to take this a little deeper, and this is really important. It would be incorrect for us to think that there are two types of people. That it would be incorrect to think that over here we have those who are subject to God's wrath, while over here we have those who don't have to deal with it. That would be incorrect because that is not the way Scripture talks about this. According to Scripture, the question is not, will the wrath of God be revealed against me and my sin or not? That's not not the right question. According to Scripture, God has wrath It is perfect because he is perfect, holy, and just, and it is revealed against all sins. So the question is not whether the wrath of God will be revealed against me and my sin, you and your sin. That's not the question. The right question, according to Scripture, is who is going to bear the wrath of God for your sin? That is the question. 
God's wrath for your sin does not just go away or get swept under the rug. When you come to faith in Christ, it doesn't go away and it doesn't get swept under the rug. It gets placed on another's shoulders in your place. It gets placed on another's shoulders. We've read this text a couple times already this morning. I think I want to read it again. You don't need to turn. In fact, I'd prefer if while I read this, you just took this in from Isaiah. Let me read this over us one more time. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All, all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The truth and the goodness of the gospel is not that your sins are now ignored through Jesus Christ. Ignored sin is not good news. No, the glory of the gospel is that the wrath of God, the wrath of our perfect and just and holy God was placed on Christ in your place. that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And I don't want us to miss how glorious and how good this is because it is not just that Jesus died for some nameless idea of sin. He didn't die for a nameless idea of sin. He died for you, the sinner. That the wrath of God was poured out on him instead of you. Church, sin is not just some like offenseless mistake. It's not just a whoops, some nameless mistake. No, sin is a personal affront to your God. We've, I think we've heard it said that God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. I get the heart of this saying. I really do. I get where it comes from. I get, you know, Romans 5 that said God demonstrated his great love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. I get that. But in Scripture, church, God's love for the sinner is always through the cross of Christ. In fact, Scripture tells me, tells us that apart from Christ, apart from him, we, the sinner, the person that we are enemies of God. Scripture tells us that we, the sinner, are objects of his wrath, is how Ephesians says it. That we are not good people who just occasionally do less than good things. That we just need to do better and we need Jesus to give us a better example so that we can do better for Jesus and he can help us to be better. That's not the picture that the Bible paints of what it means to be in Christ. Apart from Christ, we are sinners 
enemies of God and objects of his wrath. And praise God, our God does not just take that sin, shove it and sweep it under the rug. The good news is so much better than that. It's so much better than ignored sin. In Christ, the wrath of God for your sin was placed on him that you might become the righteousness of God. That's why we, we sang this morning, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. God has wrath. And the, the question is not, will the wrath of God be revealed against me and my sin? That's not the question. The question, according to Scripture, is who is going to bear the wrath of God for your sin? Will it be you or will it be Christ? That is the question. Scripture says for those who place their faith and trust in Christ, for those who are saved by grace through faith, now Christ is your Isaiah 53. That in Christ, Christ bore the wrath of God in your place once and for all. That in Christ, the enemy of God, the child of wrath, now has become friend, has become child of God. The question is, are you in Christ? My prayer today is that we would see and God move in us, causing us to see Christ and to respond in faith and joy because our God is perfect and holy and righteous and he would have been perfectly holy and righteous and just to respond to our sin and wrath and to just be done with it. That would have been perfectly just. But our God, according to Scripture, being rich in love and mercy because of his great kindness has provided the way provided grace that we might be saved. Later in Romans, Paul is going to paint the picture of Jesus being both the just and the justifier. Oh, I love this text. I love this text because only in Christ is that possible. It is only our gospel. It is only in Christ that this is possible. See, if God were to just ignore sin, that'd be great, right? just sweep it under the rug in order to justify sinners, that'd be great. He would not be just. He would not be just. He could not be just. And at the same time, if our God were not to ignore our sins, if our God were to just judge according to his perfect standard, he would certainly be just. But who among us would be justified? We have all sinned and fall short. It is only in Christ that he is both the just and the justifier. Only in Christ is this possible. Only in Christ is the wrath of God satisfied. It is only in Christ because he is the only just justifier. Only Christ. Are you in Christ? God has saved us from his own wrath. He did what we could not do. He did what we did do not deserve. And here's the, here's the thing. We, you and I, we might have the tendency to want to downplay this more than anything. Our community group, as we talked this week, we talked about we are not ashamed of the gospel. Yay and amen. But we talked about the tendency to maybe be ashamed of parts of it. Maybe leave that part out, right? We might want to downplay, to suppress, to even ex- 
even ignore what Scripture teaches about the wrath of God, to talk about love or anything else might be our tendency, but I want us, I plead with us to stop and to think because when we downplay and suppress or ignore the truth of God's wrath, when we do that, we have an incomplete understanding of our gospel, of what Christ has accomplished on the cross, of why he had to accomplish what he accomplished on the cross. It's the least loving thing that you could do to suppress the truth of God's wrath against sin is to suppress the goodness of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the truth that says our God does not just ignore, sweep under the rug, or turn his back on sin, but that our God, through Jesus Christ, being the propitiation for our sins, bore the wrath of God fully, took the wrath on himself, and in him it was satisfied. That is the gospel. The question is not, does your perfect and holy God have wrath against you or your sin? It's not the question. The question is, who will bear the weight of your sin? Who will bear the wrath of God for your sin? Will it be you or will it be Jesus Christ? Are you in Christ? I want to look at the rest of our text. Um, Paul's going to talk a lot about created order and uh, design. We're going to dive into that strong next week and week after, maybe the week after. Um, but there is something else here before we get to that, something I, I want us to see, something that comes with this idea of God's wrath being revealed. So let's press forward a bit. It says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and ungodliness of an unrighteousness of men. And then Listen to this, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And what does that mean? How, what is suppressing the truth? Can we do that through our unrighteousness? Let's continue reading. Let's see what Paul's addressing here. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. A couple things here. Um, first, we're dealing with something called revelation. And uh, I'm not talking about the last book in your Bible. Um, I'm talking about revelation in the broad sense, the idea that God reveals himself. We've seen it already in our in past couple verses where the righteousness of God was revealed in verse 17, the wrath of God is revealed, verse 18. God revealing himself is called revelation. We're talking about revelation. Praise God for revelation, by the way. Um, We would not know God apart from him in his grace revealing himself to us to know him. Praise God for revelation, making himself known. But when we think about this, theologians have, have typically divided revelation into two categories. On the one side, we have special revelation. Special revelation. Special revelation, just to keep this simple, Scripture. It is the written, it is the inspired Word of God. It's the Bible, the canon. 
It's the special revelation of God. In this, we know about the gospel. In this, we know God, who he is. In this, we know Christ. In this, we know the redemption plan. In this, we know God. This is special revelation. That's the first kind of revelation. The second kind of revelation is something that has been called general revelation. So you have special revelation, and you have general revelation. Revelation. General revelation is the ways that God will choose to reveal himself in and through his creation. It's as the Psalms say, the heavens declare the glory of God as general revelation. Um, it's, it's in the song that many of us love, How Great Thou Art. That first verse says, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars and I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. That's general revelation. That's the glory and the power of God on display through the work of his hands. General revelation. When we think about revelation of God here in our text, Paul is pointing us to general revelation. So as we look at our text, we see, for what can uh, be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And how did he show it to them? Was it in a Bible study? It's awesome when God shows himself through Scripture. Awesome. But no, that's not what happened here. Paul says it's been plain to them. They've seen it, not because of special revelation, but Paul says, for his invisible attributes, God's eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived, where? Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. God has chosen to reveal himself, his power, his nature, who he is. He has revealed himself in the things that have been made, meaning in creation. God has revealed himself in creation. And because God has revealed himself in creation, we get to the, the one phrase that got most of us in our questions, that phrase that says, so they are without any excuse. Because God has revealed himself in creation, they are without excuse. This is a ginormous, as I say with my kids, ginormous statement. Because God has revealed himself, there is no excuse. Let me be specific. Because God revealed himself in nature, creation, in the world, because of general revelation, there is no excuse. And no excuse from what? No excuse from what? Well, in our context, what's Paul talking about? The wrath of God. Paul says, the wrath of God, or God has wrath, and in his wrath, there is no excuse from it. What about those who do not know? What about those who have never heard? Paul says, there is no excuse. What about those who have never had the opportunity to hear? Paul says there is no excuse. Because God has wrath, because he is perfect, holy, righteous, just, 
Because the good and correct and right response to evil is wrath, God has wrath, and no one is excused from this. And how could we be if you think about it? If ignorance were an acceptable excuse, first of all, God would not be just. We get that when it comes to speeding tickets. I think we can get it here. I mean, you can't go 180 through a school zone and say, I didn't know. Fair enough. Here's your ticket. Actually, jail at that point. Um, We get it. Ignorance can't be an excuse because our God wouldn't be just. But more than that, if ignorance were an acceptable excuse to avoid the wrath of God, the most loving thing we could possibly do would be to never tell one soul about Jesus. Never open your mouth about it. Never. Don't you dare evangelize. The minute you tell someone about Jesus, every time you tell someone about Jesus, you go, poop, now you can't use that excuse. We'd be sending people to hell left and right because we'd be taking their excuses away. But church, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says our God is holy, that God has wrath against all evil, and there is no excuse. Because God's glory is declared through the works of his hands, ignorance is not the way to avoid the wrath of God. Jesus Christ is the way to avoid the wrath of God who took it on him instead of you in your place. I want to pull something else to the surface here. We need to observe what this text does not say. What it does not say about general revelation. See, although general revelation is sufficient to take away any excuse that we have to avoid the wrath of God. It is sufficient to do that. Church, general revelation is insufficient to provide the knowledge required for salvation in Christ. Take this in. General revelation is sufficient to take away our excuse It is insufficient in providing us the knowledge to respond to the gospel in Christ. I'll say it another way. Let me just use Paul's words later in Romans. Romans 10, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Amen. Then he goes on to say, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And, you know, while we're at it, how will they believe in him whom they've never heard? And, while we're at it, how will they hear without someone preaching? And you know what? How are they going to preach unless they're sent? How It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Then he says, so faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Notice Paul does not point us to general revelation for salvation. He does not tell the Romans to go and to gaze at the stars to take in the beauty and grandeur of God, to consider the wonder of creation. Now, should we do that? Sure, do that. That's not what Paul says, though. Paul points us to the word of Christ. Paul points us to the preaching of the word. Paul ties salvation to the special revelation of God in Christ. Now, as much as a walk in nature may, and many of you have probably had this experience, pause you in your tracks and say, oh, there must be a God, and He is glorious and good. 
This has to be the work of a creator. It is beautifully designed. This connects me to an awareness of God. You could walk into nature and just see there must be a God and he must be glorious. But it is the word of God that causes us to see who our God is. To see Christ and to see the plan of redemption, to see the gospel. In other words, you may walk to the edge of a Grand Canyon, look around in awe and wonder and say, there is a God. It has to be a God. But you could not walk to that same spot, look out over the Grand Canyon and say, there is a God and I am a sinner. My God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who willingly came, living the life I could not live and dying the death that I deserved. You could not walk to that same spot and look around and say, Jesus Christ was arrested. He was crucified on a cross and he bore the wrath of God so that I could be forgiven. He breathed his last and accomplished it all. He was buried and on the third day he rose and through him I can commune with God. You can't walk to that same spot and say, I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And one day I know he's going to return and I'm going to be with him forever. General revelation can't do that. It certainly leaves us without any excuse to avoid the wrath of God. It may stir our desire for God. It may stir us to see the glory and splendor of our God. But only the Word of God, the special revelation of God, can lead us to salvation in Christ. And that is why we preach. That is why we share this. That is why we evangelize. That is why it is because of love that we speak. That we open this and that we share the good news of, gospel, of the gospel with those whose hearts have been prompted by general revelation. Praise the Lord for that, but let us never shy away from sharing the truth of the gospel in word. There's a lot more ahead. Oh, there's a lot more ahead. Um, for now, though, I want us to just take a moment and take in the weight. Let's put this together. God has wrath, and his wrath is the correct and right and good response to evil. Because he is holy, because he is righteous, because he is good, our God has wrath. And no one, no one has an excuse that exempts them from the perfect wrath of God. There is no excuse, there is no exemption. We all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of that is death. We've already shown this morning that the question is not, will God reveal his wrath against me and my sin? Again, there is no one with a valid excuse. See, the question is, who will bear the wrath of God for my sin? Will it be me, or will it be Jesus? It's not just that, though. I want us to zoom out. Our community. The community that God has placed you in, placed us in. There are many right now who think they are just fine. 
who think they have an excuse. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands who are right now standing under the full weight of their sin thinking they're fine. Who right now are without an excuse, who although might have an awareness of a God, might know about God, might know about Jesus, who might know about some gospel, who right now do not understand it, do not follow Jesus, and have not placed their faith in Jesus, who have not submitted themselves to Him as their Lord and Savior, who right now have no excuse. And as unpopular as what I'm about to say is, it needs to be said, hell is real. We as Bible-believing Christians believe that there is a real hell. And because of that, that there are real people going to a real hell. And there was a once a time when I would teach and preach about hell differently than I would now. Um, there was once a time that I, I thought about hell as the eternity separated from God, a godless eternity. That's how I would talk about and think about hell. And um, the more I look at Scripture, the more I realize that that's not a complete enough understanding. In fact, for those who hate God, for those who hate God, want nothing to do with God, an eternity spent without Him might not sound that bad. But hell is not just the absence of God for all eternity. Instead, hell is the full presence of the wrath of God. Unmediated and unrestrained and untouched by the work of God through Jesus Christ. That is what hell is. The full and unrestricted and eternal presence of the wrath of God for our sin. Hell is where the wrath of God is poured out on all evil because our God is just, perfect, holy, holy, holy. Our hope is Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And I say with Paul again, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved. Not helped. Saved. And because of that, I will ask with Paul, how then will they call on him if they've not believed? And how on earth are they going to believe in him if they've never heard? And how are they going to hear unless there is preaching? And how is there going to be preaching unless we go and are sent? How's that going to happen? And so I'll say with Paul over our church, how beautiful are the feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess that we are so often slow to speak and slow to obey, that we become comfortable, that we become complacent, 
as we have sung, as we have talked about, that we have gospel amnesia that causes us to forget the good news of the gospel, to be distracted. We confess our tendency to be prone to wonder. And along with that, Lord, we confess our tendency to want to lay down this great calling we have to share the good news with our community, the whole gospel, the full gospel. Not that you want to come help us go from good to better to best, but that you want to cause us who are dead to become alive. God, would you help us to reclaim the full truth of the gospel? to preach it boldly, to go, to tell our community boldly about the good news of Jesus Christ. God, would you send us out? We pray that you would give us the ability to see your goodness and your glory and all that you have created. We pray that you would give us the ability to see your glory in all of the works of your hands, that they would cause us to give you glory and praise, cause us to see you. And we also pray that you would cause us to see the glory of the gospel found in the word of God, in your word, that we would see, that we would understand, that we who are dead in our sins have been made alive in Christ. By grace we have been saved through faith. There is nothing we stand to boast of. Jesus, you bore the wrath of God for our sin. So that now we are and we can be the righteousness of God. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to do a work in us in this moment. Jesus' name.